Over the last two decades, Africa has been on the rise with large-scale foreign investments and the return of the African diaspora to the continent. Africa is now on the path towards growth and economic progress. The development of the innovation ecosystem within the continent is booming with several programs to support startups and early-stage entrepreneurs. Prospective entrepreneurs now have the opportunity to be supported by incubation hubs and business acceleration services in key sectors within the continent. The increasing expansion of the entrepreneurship ecosystem is serving as lifeline to entrepreneurs at all levels of business development, especially as related to access to finance, growth strategies and access to the export market. To shed light on these initiatives in Ghana and the rest of the sub-Saharan African region, I have with me on the show today Mr. Richard Yebwa. Well, I've known Richard for a long time and uh, providing a complete overview of his work over the last decade might probably need the entirety of the show. Richard, isn't that the case? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've done a, quite a, a lot of things. Yeah, indeed. And you are a specialist in entrepreneurship development and SME support and enterprise creation services in industrialized and developing countries, uh, especially within the African sub-region. And with, uh, with special focus on migrants and youth entrepreneurship, even though that is increasingly uh, expanding your Uh, your base and uh, those that you are reaching out to. So for over uh, nearly two decades, uh, Richard has supported uh, many entrepreneurs, companies and NGOs in their early startup stage to become sustainable entities. He is the project director of Ghana Innovation Hub, managing director of Green Energy Ghana. And before then, he was the regional director of MDF training and consultancy west african regional office even though you are still uh, you're obviously still working with mdf as part of the consortium of ghana innovation hub isn't that the case yeah so actually um at this moment i am um director of mdf west africa but in the global network of mdf i'm the regional director for africa um managing the six offices that we have in uh, in africa uh, and then, of course, I will tell you a bit more about the different roles that I have with my titles. Wow. Um, but in the Ghana Innovation Hub is a project uh, funded by the Ghana government through an, a World Bank funding. And we submitted a bit as MDF, uh, Ghana Technology University College and Blue Space Africa. And as lead uh, firm as MDF. Uh, we had to appoint a project director, and I'm then the project director. Oh, great. And so uh, I know I left out several areas uh, on your background, training and and work, things as part of uh, your work in the Netherlands as well. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, okay. Well, I always start with uh, born in Ghana, but uh, grew up in the Netherlands, uh, in Amsterdam to be specific. Uh, did uh, my schooling in the Netherlands from primary, secondary school, 
University did industrial engineering and management with focus on financial engineering and doing business in developing countries. Um, started my own company um, during my uh, university degree. Um, did that for a long time and worked for several organizations as a freelancer, as a consultant. Um, I think where we met each other was uh, in the space of uh, migration and development and then really focusing on uh, diaspora community in the Netherlands who wanted to set up their business in countries of origin. I did that for a long time and I remember 2012, uh, somebody asked me, uh, but Richard, if we are you are advising us to set up businesses in countries of origin, why are you still in the Netherlands? Why are you not using the knowledge that you are teaching us to do it yourself? So um, I used, it was a, very much a reflection. So then I took the bold step to make the uh, step to uh, uh, do this in Ghana. But then the lessons that I learned was that it will, it's always good to partner. So I uh, got in contact with MDF, uh, which I knew because we were submitting a bit together for a program in South Sudan. And to make my uh, story short, after a few negotiations, we came to an agreement where then I was head, I'm heading now the office in, uh, in Ghana that is responsible for the West African sub-region. What is your main area of work within um, MDF currently in your current position? I mean, we can talk and then uh, sink that into your work at Ghana Innovation Hub. But what is your main area of uh, within MDF? So for for my main, well, my assignment was okay. Help MDF to uh, have. We have a small office. We had a small office in Ghana. Uh, make it self-sustaining and grow the office. So I joined MDF when we had a small office of four staff members, and now we are over 30 staff members over a period of seven years, actively doing projects with practically in every 50 member states, countries of the ECOWAS, uh, but mainly Ghana, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Benin, um, and then uh, working a lot for organizations like ECOWAS or programs for regional entities in west africa um yeah so i'm more focusing on institutional development but also linking always to social impact and sustainability of organizations and companies um looking it from the social economical point of view and building institutions i think that is uh, what i can say that i really look at and then of course for a long time i've been also focusing on institutionalizing entrepreneurship support uh within mdf as a whole and i think there's an area of institutionalizing um uh the support entrepreneurship support and building the processes for supporting entrepreneurs uh that led into developing the ghana innovation hub yeah actually yes so you know well, when i joined mdf he said okay if you look at africa and especially if you look at west africa you have a lot of young population there's there's not enough companies set up to absorb all these young talents and yeah so one of the things that we said okay in order to do that you need to have strong institutions that can provide entrepreneurship support 
So that is uh, was the starting journey of MDF to become an enterprise support organization. We tested some few models and some few concepts, and wow. through that we built we build it. And then the Ghana government came up with a tender where they, under the e-transform program, they wanted to improve the innovative ecosystem and really looking at digitalization and technology-driven businesses. So, um, of course, um, looking at that, we are, as MDA, very strong in management, project management, uh, helping organizations to grow, either NGOs, government, or uh, companies. So we partner with Ghana Technology University College, a university that is capable of building the capacity of young people in technology and uh, helping them to transform the technology knowledge into businesses. And then Blue Space Africa, which is an uh, IT enabling company. So we brought all this knowledge together to set up the Ghana Innovation Hub. Yeah, you mentioned uh, quite a lot in uh, the area of technology. Is that an area you see that has a huge prospect for innovation yes. in, in Ghana? Yes, I think that is, you know, because of um, a lot of um, infrastructural uh, systems are not, uh, for a long time, were not there. If you look even at the movement of mobile tel uh, uh, phones, you know, initially, I quite remember that when I was growing up in the Netherlands, you wanted to call an, a family member, then uh, you call a call center, and then with the, the, somebody will then go to the location to call the person, and then in an hour's time, you had to call back. But suddenly when mobile phones came in, it was easy for everybody to have accessibility. So we, I really believe that technology can... Uh, um, shorten the distances and can speed up development. And actually COVID-19 has shown also how important technology can be in all these operations. Yeah, and I see also the e-commerce the e space in, in Ghana is also exploding quite quite recently. Yeah, exactly. In, now you, you live um, in a, a bit outside the city center, you can now, uh, through online um, payment systems or online ordering, and people can then bring your food or any item that you, you buy to location. Um, mobile money, um, people that didn't have access to a bank account with mobile money now have access to financial services, um, insurances. Um, so I think technology really is helpful um and therefore but then also because of technology it, it enables a lot then automatically education and other services around technology can also grow right so the entire ecosystem support you might say yes exactly so the moment that technology comes in uh there are spinovers around several sectors right 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 what are some of the uh the projects within ghana innovation hope over the last years that have uh, sort of you would describe as um, good examples of uh, the success of the, the hub. Well, I, if I look at it, one of the interesting concepts that is now being tested, which I always love to talk about, is in a, is in a, a company called Washking. They actually build household uh, toilets for 
very urban, poor families. And they initially their technology was more or less that you need less water to uh, flush. And then besides that, um, you need less dislodging. Actually, yeah. the te technology is built that actually uh, they use all sort of technology to um, process the fecal sludge to organic uh, manure. So actually compost. And therefore, uh, in some communities where it is very difficult to get a fecal sludge a truck uh, driver to drive in, you can build these sanitation blocks. Well, one of the things that he found out is that a lot of these communities are not capable of paying upfront. So now what he's now testing using technology is that he has these uh, uh, key, key cards, which he uses on the on the WC's uh, uh, doors, and you can buy vouchers. Wow. And through the vouchers, you can then have access to a sanitation block close to your house. Well, before technology, without technology, it would have been difficult to do this. And now with technology, people are used to vouchers, the same vouchers that people use for uh, uploading their mobile phone credits and all those things. Now he's testing that model. Well, for me, that is a, an innovative concept that is now being tested, which normally uh, would not be done. And of course, there are 20,000 reasons not to do it, but uh, okay. with the innovation and with the support that he's getting from us, he's now able to test the model. Yeah, that's, that's great. One of the uh, the challenges entrepreneurs face within the continent and even, uh, and even here uh, is access to finance. How do you... Uh, created opportunities for entrepreneurs, for startups to access finance for investment? Well, I think I think there are some few, I think one of the things that I really have to recommend, uh, um, say about the Ghana government is that they had provided a proof of concept fund. So they recognize that also, so they have given us permission to give um, proof of concept funds to entrepreneurs. So I think that is uh, already a good start. Um, there are other programs that we are doing within the Ghana Innovation Hub, like the Orange Corner uh, program funded by the Dutch government. And there we have the Orange Corner Innovation Fund, which again gives access to entrepreneurs. So there are so many other upcoming fundings that is uh, impact investments that is given opportunities for these young people to uh, get access to fin finance. So, yes, there are still opportunities. And with the world opening up, uh, with a lot of funding in the world, I think that financing, although difficult, there, are, there is opportunity to get funding. But one of the things that I always tell everybody is that if a friend or family member or even a stranger comes to you to ask for funds or borrow money, the way you will scrutinize that person it's the same way that uh, you have to expect that a financial institution or donor or whosoever will want to scrutinize you to know that truly the funds that they are given, you are going to use for your business and that you are also willing to sacrifice. So you will not take the 100000 or 50000 and then the first thing that you are doing is uh, have a big billboard with your name on it and your product or buy a car. Those type of things are then the questionable, how are you growing your business? And I think 
that is something that still a lot of entrepreneurs need to understand. I think that uh, that is really a crucial aspect in dealing with some of the uh, I would describe as cultural uh, cultural mindset issues that that we are aware of. You know, you, they have an investment; they immediately want to uh, hire their cousins and and brothers rather than actually hiring people who are qualified to run the business. How do you navigate some of those cultural minefields? Well, I think one of the things that in our trainings, what we really talk about is governance. So we are not saying that family businesses are wrong because if you look at the world, uh, the best businesses are actually family businesses. So the, percep uh, the perception that hiring family members uh, will uh, cripple your company is a wrong perception. But the, the, the challenge is more or less that you are hiring family members that are not qualified. I think that is the most important thing. So we discuss within these entrepreneurs in governance, are you putting the right person at the right place? So if you need an accountant, uh, a financial uh, manager, and you take somebody that has no any background in finance, then of course you are creating a problem. Either if it's a family member or a cousin or whatsoever, you are creating a problem. Why? Because the person is not competent enough to do that. So I think that is where the focus should be. Is the person competent enough? That is, I think, the main question that you need to ask yourself. And I think one of the other things that we entrepreneurs, uh, managers need to know is that you need to build around you people that are complementary to yourself and not people that I will always say, yes, sir, master, because you need to reflect. Because you, although you are the lead, you are the entrepreneur, you are the one with the vision, you don't have all the answers yourself. So you need people around you that can advise you positively, uh, can tell you you are going wrong, or can give you some new insights. Right. Yeah, that's excellent, because once you think of... Um, uh, some of these issues around working with family, working with people that uh, that you know, you, you always have the resistance. Did you experience that uh, at the start of uh, some of the projects that you are talking with? You know, have you had that kind of experience where there is resistance to some cultural change issues? Well, I think that for me, it uh, it helps to be a diaspora because I can always fall back on being a diaspora. So um, I think um, in some cases, I just ignore it. Uh, but for myself, for instance, I've, although it is not against company policy or whatsoever, I have always decided that um, I will not hire a family member in the company that I work, simply because it will be difficult for that person because it's family member, everybody will have a double eye on that person. And so it will never be fair to that person. And uh, secondly, it will also be strange that sometimes, you know, sometimes you as a manager, it's not always that you will be uh, strict and direct. Sometimes you just close your eyes because you are also coming to build capacity. You are also giving people chances. And if you're not careful, you fall into a conflict of interest situation, which you don't want. So advisable um, is, again, not to do it unless you have clear-cut governance structures and policies which 
everybody can make can see that it's very explicit right 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 and especially uh, really integrating all of that within uh, the business development training that you provide as well yeah exactly so really asking the questions that normally nobody will ask right right what are some of the main uh, business development uh, services uh, inclusive the issue of dealing with some of the cultural issues what are some <laughs> Yeah, so I think where we most often focus on as MDF is really about uh, three things. Uh, one, the main one is about your product and your market. Is there a market for the product or service that you want to bring on board? Are there people to, who are willing to pay? That's, that's one. And it doesn't mean automatically that those that want to pay are also the ones that are using. But because that is also sometimes people, uh, the mismatch that people think uh, of your customers are the same people that are using the services. So really helping the entrepreneur to understand his customer and um, the service or the product that the customer wants. That's one. The other side of it that we see really is operational efficiency and really the focus of you know most of the time the focus on the entrepreneur but we try to move the entrepreneur to look at his organization and look at his team and because that is the only time that you can grow unless you say that you want to be a one-man business and you don't want to grow your business but if you want to grow you need other people with enough competences who understand your vision who understand your directives and who also feel part of the growth of your business. I think that is very much important. And, and then the last one is networking. So really um, uh, opening up your network, getting new access to new networks, getting access to um, other organizations, getting access to uh, opportunities and all those things and that is most of the time going to an events that people know about you, talking to people about your product, your service, your challenges that you are facing in your business, so that there are people that are willing to help, support, or link you up. Yeah, that's really crucial. Uh, before we started, you mentioned a really crucial point about uh, using your network in order to build your business and especially for the diaspora uh diaspora those from the diaspora never really utilize quite effectively the network they have built uh within uh in the netherlands or within or in other parts of the world in order to effectively establish in ghana uh, what how do you view that what are what is your perspective on that well i think, you shared with well, I think it's, it's important to to have it in mind that uh, successful business uh, business people or entrepreneurs is also about experience that you have gained and experiences that you have and most especially for diaspora we are not in and let's say uh, an, an empty book you have done so many things that you can uh, utilize it um, and most of often I, I tell people that look uh, what makes you different as a diaspora compared to somebody that has never lived and worked outside the country is the things that you bring along from that country. 
And most of the time, people think that it is about funds. But it's not about funds. It's about attitude. It's about skills. It's about um, uh, asking questions. You know, sometimes you, and I know diaspora, if you know when you go to your country of origin, you'll be asking questions and you are asking yourself, why this? Why that? Why this? But we should be careful that it doesn't become a uh, complaint, but rather to do, oh, okay, if they are doing it this way, can I bring solution to solve it that way? Because I've seen it work uh, other way in the country that I'm um, coming from or uh, networks that I've been in. Is there a way of uh, having uh, partnerships? There, I, I always know that there are a lot of SMEs in Europe that would like to make the step to Africa, but they don't know how to go about it. Why not partner with these type of companies and say, hey, listen, I can bring this and I can bring that. Let's join hands and let's uh, set up something. And then uh, I, I, I believe that no business that wants to make that step will say no. But then it is based on also trusting each other and taking the risk from your end. Right. Because you mentioned that trust is one of the issues that really keeps entrepreneurs back in actually uh, networking and uh, developing partnerships and co-founding uh, initiatives together. Yeah, no, that's true. I always say that it's nice to sign contracts, but at the end of it, you only look at the contracts when yeah, there's a conflict. And yeah. that's always like that. You can sign all contracts and all those things. And when you are happy with each other, we all understand the contract the same way. The moment that there are challenges, then you you have all different interpretation. So if the initial, of course, you need to have contracts and all those things. But if the, the starting point of a contract is on basis of I don't trust you, then the best is not to sign any contract. Yeah, that, well, if, that the main impetus shouldn't be uh, I don't trust you, so let's have a contract. Then there's really no need for the initiative to take off. Let's be honest. All of us, when we buy a phone or we we log in on a website and they and it is written, uh, um, click on accept all the uh, contractual arrangements or whatsoever. How many of us really read the no. the, the information? We hardly read it. We only we all click yes, 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 and download. So it's very strange that when I and I've seen that also that sometimes people will be fighting about the sharing of the profit, and they haven't even sold one product, and and the time and energy and the frustration that is put into that doesn't even give the chance for the business to be successful. And but really- It's in founders, in some, in some founding uh, businesses. Yeah, but yeah, so some of the things is that if you don't really, uh, you know, setting up that business is very lonely in your being alone. Um, doing it with somebody, with everybody's other ideas and concepts and all those things, if you don't have a basis of trust, it is so difficult because you can you can have different ideas to go to Rome, but that doesn't mean that it has to do with trust. It, it has to do with different perspective. And as long as you you mix 
perspective from trust, it will always be difficult. That's a very important distinction, actually. You know, trust and really having having a different perspective. It's not really about because the other your partner has a different way of looking at it. He is not trustworthy. It's simply that he has a different way of looking at it, an alternative way of looking at it, more or less. Yeah, but that is the but that's that's the beauty of entrepreneurship, and that is the beauty of working with uh, a diverse group of people. I think. I think I've been successful because of always accepting the diversity of people and working with a diverse team, uh, working with competent uh, expertise from different fields and uh, reflecting with people and all those things. I think that is that makes one to be successful. Right, right, right. And talking about diversity uh, of projects and diversity of ideas, I'd like uh, us to discuss uh, Green Energy Ghana, where you are currently. <coughs> yeah, so Green Energy Ghana started um, in 2015, actually, um, under the Ghana uh, Netherlands uh, WASH program. Uh, was a part is a partnership was a partnership program between the Dutch government and the Ghana government, where the idea was to solve the sanitation problems in in Ghana. Um, one of the challenges that uh, was foreseen was that, uh, you know, the, the prison service was once built um, for 500 inmates. But of course, because of the growth of uh, it, there are more, sometimes there could be between 3,000 and 4,000 inmates. So there was like an environmental challenge uh, happening. And then the uh, Water Resource Commission uh, would have had an issue with taking another government entity to court. So the solution was, can we find a, uh, uh, an innovative concept where we can solve this environmental challenge? Um, uh, if you Google, you will see also the fecal sludge uh, through trucks being uh, dumped directly to sea and all. So the Green Energy Ghana is a concept that we developed as MDF with few other partners where we actually um, are taking all the whole value chain of uh, uh, fecal sludge. So from the intake, from households, for institutional intake as the prison, as public sanitation blocks, to up to uh, cleaning it and creating byproducts. So whole circular economy. So the concept that we have with Green Energy Ghana is that we collect fecal sludge, we process it in a treatment plant where we have bio, we produce biogas, and in the future, it is, if it's very a lot, we can give it back to the grid to the Ghana Electricity Company and another side of what will remain, we clean it so that it will be pathogen free. Uh, so no uh, diseases in it. And right. then we mix it with organic waste. And uh, with that, you will have um, a nutritious value uh, compost, which again, you can then sell to farmers for organic, um, Veg uh, vegetables or organic uh, fruits. 
And then besides that, the, the water that has been cleaned will have enough nutrition value where you can then do like forests, fish farming or whatsoever. So the whole circular economy. Again, an innovation to solve social uh, problems. All right. I noticed that this is an area that you really love, you know, this sort of projects that sort of give back to the community, you know, that has kind of a secular approach. Yeah. So I think, I think that is, that is the way to uplift some of these countries. And I think where you need to have an, an approach where it solves that social problem, socioeconomical problem, it uplifts people by creating jobs for those people and getting income. And I always believe that when people have decent jobs, their own income and all those things, they will make sure that uh, schools are very good. They will make sure that there are good hospitals. They will make sure that infrastructural projects, everything, and it automatically creates also peace within the locality, the environment, and all those things. So I really believe in that. And I really believe that individuals, everybody in the world, wants to have that self-reliance. And human beings, that is what we want. But sometimes you just need that additional support. Um, and I'm one, I always say that I'm one of the few lucky ones that had that exposure in Europe. Right. And I've had that uh, uh, the opportunity to travel all over the world, going to uh, the Caribbean, going to Latin America, Asia, uh, Africa, and throughout Europe. So you see a lot of things. And one thing that you see, every individual wants to have a say about his or her own life. And, but not everybody has that opportunity. So anytime that I, I get that opportunity, I try to bring these combinations together. What are some, you, you mentioned uh, your travels around the world. What are some of the key elements in entrepreneurship that you see that is common with with most of the regions you've traveled to, say to the Caribbean and to uh, to Asia and other parts of the world? Well, what I see is that young people, young people are really ready to do something new. Um, and they are looking for support. <clears throat> and sometimes the biggest challenge is that you have already systems in place that is not conducive for them. Um, and sometimes... I think that is the biggest challenge and they just need some examples and they just need uh, a chance. And I saw that when I was working in, in, uh, in Amsterdam, uh, working with uh, what they called, uh, how do you say, school dropouts and those right. that had uh, contact with the police, um, that you see that a lot of institutions, a lot of organizations don't really talk to the beneficiaries don't really talk to these young people with the question, what do you need or what do you want? So I think, but I see, if you see some of these young people, you see the zeal the, in their eyes, you see the passion that they are putting into what they are doing with the little that they have, then you see that there's, an, there's surely uh, talents available that we need to pick up. Yeah, and I see that's also part of your passion in working with the young people that uh, you are also linked to the Orange Corners project of the Dutch government, right? Yes, so yeah, so I really believe in the 
you know, I I really believe in that accelerate helping these young companies, especially now that you know it is already difficult to set up your business. But the, with Orange Corner, you focus on uh, companies that have already set up to a certain level, and pushing them to the next level is very much uh, uh, a blessing. You know, where somebody has uh, set up from scratch and then has four or five people working for him or her and then uplifting it to uh, 15 people, helping them to raise funds. And, uh, well, it's really, I think, the next best thing to do. So I really enjoy working for uh, these uh, companies because it is really seeing the new generation of leaders, new generation of entrepreneurs, new uh, generation of innovators uh, coming together to do it for themselves. Well, that's great. So we are talking about Orange Corners. Is it is it a competitive program or is it a uh, simply support entrepreneurship support program? No, it is an uh, it is a competitive uh, entrepreneurship program because we have every year a slot for thirty companies in two cohorts of uh, fifteen fifteen. So right. it is really competitive in the sense that you need to prove to us that with our support you can move to the next level. So. It's really, um, you know, so it is not, there's not freebies. Although the support is being paid by the Dutch government and all those things, but it is an investment. And uh, the investment, you need to end that investment of that support. And so up to now, I think we have been lucky to have good businesses, good uh, concepts that we are really helping to the next phase. Yeah, awesome. I wanted to ask you about uh, your. Uh, what do you think about entrepreneurship in general in Ghana? What What's the current outlook of it in Ghana? I mean, based simply based on the projects that you are undertaking from MDF, what is the the general environment? Well, I think the government um, started already a long time to really say we need to focus on uh, entrepreneurship development because we need to create new jobs to be able to absorb all these young people that are coming out of university or out of the, these TVET institutions. So I think that is something that the government already started doing. And I think upcoming years, and I see that also already with the new projections of programs, I see uh, development partners, I see organizations like MasterCard Foundation, all really focusing on economic recovery, uh, with economic resilience and entrepreneurship support to both existing companies as well as uh, young entrepreneurs, as well as women-led businesses. Because at the end of it, I think that is also uh, very much important. If we have enough uh, companies that are growing in a sustainable way, they will be able to provide decent jobs. Uh, those people that have decent jobs and therefore decent incomes will be able to cater for themselves and their family. And automatically you get then that uh, spin over and a spill over of, let's say, a sustainable development in the country. And I think that creates also st stability and gives a country the opportunity to grow because then all these companies will be able to pay more taxes 
government can use these taxes to grow uh, and build infrastructure that is again needed to support these SMEs. Yeah, you mentioned sustainability. I think that's one of the areas that I think is not emphasized enough, you know, and one of the, the major problems we have and challenges we have is uh, the culture of maintenance. You know, that's, of course, linked to sustainability uh, in the area of business. How does the government ensure that some of these businesses are sustainable? Or say within the private sector, uh, in your case, how, how is that ensured? Well, that's why I'm saying it's a combination of the entrepreneur. So you need to have people that are really interested to set up a business and they are doing it for themselves. So it's not um, they are forced into it. I think that is one of the uh, that's why it is very competitive in the selection. So it should be people that really are willing to do that and not because there is an opportunity for funding that they are doing it. So I think that is that is important. Uh, second of it is that uh, showcasing people how the, the importance of maintenance, importance of uh, customer relations, importance of building on something. And I, yes, I've I've seen it that a lot of companies when they start they are very nice, very good, and all those things. But when they have the numbers, then they get back to the uh, normal system. And I think that is something that we are really trying to move people not to do that and well we are we just started i would say so i think that outcome will be seen in a few years but i think people really understand the importance of this maintenance behavior and i think because there's a lot of uh, new middle class coming up that they are also demanding for that service Right, right. The middle class in Ghana is, is growing quite quite large yes. on the region, the entire region, actually. Yes, so they are demanding for good quality uh, healthcare, good quality schools, good quality housing. Um, so they are also demanding for that. I, I quite remember that uh, a long time um, restaurants were only in hotels and the, you didn't have special restaurants unless it was a chop bar. But now you see uh, good uh, restaurants upcoming that fully are doing restaurant business. So oh, the local um, uh, street food restaurants, you mean? Some yeah, so you, you, had, you could only choose between that and hotel uh, restaurants. Oh, I see, yeah. But now you could see that there's a whole uh, list of um, restaurants that you can select which good quality, high level, and prices are also moderate. And I think that showcase that there are more people who are able to afford it that are not expats or top rich Ghanaians. Right, middle class or even uh, not necessarily middle class even. Yeah, so let's say um, you have, you have, of course, the high end, upper middle class. You have the middle class and the lower end middle class. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, those are exciting, exciting times for Ghana, and and I think Accra is quite is quite booming as well in that regards. Yeah, Accra is booming, and I think the next level for uh, Ghana for Accra is to have this growth also expand to 
other regions, other lo uh, locations, so that the nation uh, will be also booming. And I think that is really uh, very much important to steer that development up. Yeah, and I think isn't part of uh, government's uh, support for development the one district, one country policy? How is that? How successful is that? And, and do you think to building the entrepreneurial culture in Ghana? Well, <laughs> for me, everything that leads to uh, private sector development, I always will um, say, let's do it. We, I'm a really a private sector uh, person. So I always say that. And I think the question shouldn't be, is it working? But rather look at what is the intention of the program and at least what I see and the stories that I hear and all those things, I see a lot of these businesses coming up and really making use of it and they are growing and they are employing a lot of people. So um, I am not a policy developer that I can say that it is thanks to the policy, but I see these companies coming up and I'm happy for that because uh, again, 50 people are employed, the other one is 100 people, others are 200. You see Volkswagen set, setting up their uh, oh, really? whole uh, uh, plant. Uh, yes, you see, so those are all things that is showing that it, uh, these multinationals also see the benefit of setting up these uh, uh, plants in Ghana. So uh, I, I'm sure that um, if these multinationals are also doing it and expanding to Ghana, it, it just showcases that there is uh, there is a good uh, possibility in in, in 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 Ghana. And yes, and so I, for me, the vision behind one district, one factory is good. Because again, what we discussed about it, that I see it more or less like um, industrialization of the uh, districts. So the moment that you have an anchor business uh, set up there and the anchor business needs to tap into the whole value chain, uh, it will improve uh, restaurants because uh, if I have a big company there with more than two, 300 people working for me, they need to be f uh, fed. So people with restaurants will come. Um, it could be that visitors will come. So there must be hotels. It could be that people want to move closer by. So people will build houses. And then because there are houses there and people have family, so schools should be there. Uh, uh, hospitals should be there. So it is really an, uh, the idea of building the economy, building development, through an anchor business that is uh, a private party that is doing that investment. So I think uh, the philosophy behind it is there and they just started the past four years. So I think I'm sure that they will evaluate it and based on that, improve on it, adjust it. So, but then, you know, we have in uh, December elections. So depending on the elections, we will then know um, if, the, the new government will continue, adjust it, or come up with a new concept. Yeah, the hope is that the new government, if the new government is elected, is that there would be a sense of continuity. Because one of the issues we face within the policy area 
in Africa and many other parts of the world anyway, is the fact that you could have interesting projects such as this get abandoned by a succeeding administration because they happen to disagree politically. And it's always a, a disadvantage to the regions that, are, uh, that, that seek this kind of investment. And I think, yeah, the, the most important thing is the focus on private sector development. No matter whether or not a new administration comes in or an old administration instituted a policy, it could be continued. Isn't, it, isn't that the case? Well, I, I totally agree. And I think, well, uh, looking at, well, in Ghana, I think also, and especially also in Africa, what is very much important is that we have this uh, um, name of always having free and fair elections. Right. And, and uh, you know, as I said, I travel a lot in Africa. And really, one of the things that I'm always proud of in, uh, in Ghana uh, is that we have that stability of peace. And really, um, no matter which policies and all those things, if you don't have that peace or you don't have that reassurance that you can sleep and wake up and there's nothing going to be wrong, it is so difficult to develop. And I think that is the strength of our political parties, that they are always making sure that we have that uh, peace of mind. I think that is very much important. And then again, I think we all want uh, the best for Ghana. We all are moving towards the focus of getting Ghana to a middle-income country. And But then again, perception uh, and perspectives um, everybody feels like there's a different way to go to Rome. But then I think one of the things that entrepreneurs should also be able to do is to make sure that government listen to us and that no matter which party is in power, that we also are open and close to tell government that, oh, this policy needs to continue or this policy needs to be adjusted. And I think we have strong private sector-led institutions that are already doing this with various governments in place. This really shows good prospect for Ghana in the next decade. Well, I think so. I think really, and I think um, um, although um, with COVID it will be a bit challenging, but I think it's also opening some opportunities. It is opening, I think for a lot of African countries, it's showcasing how important to develop locally based companies um, and develop locally based expertise and develop locally based uh, resources. And I think, uh, I think uh, the coming decades, that will be really the reinforcement and the acceleration of the local economy. Right, so it's really going to be a period of acceleration on, what yes. is, on the foundation that has been laid. Yes, I think so. I think so. And then it is now up to us, uh, citizens, companies, civil society, uh, government officials and organizations to work together for the betterment of the countries. And I think uh, as long as we have that in mind, uh, there are so many things that we can pick up together. Great, great. What sectors uh, would you say are prime sectors for uh, innovative projects or for innovation in general uh, in Ghana and the sub-region in general? What are some of those sectors you see that are Well, well I, if, if I look at it, I always link it to some of the challenges that we are having. 
So I always say waste management. And then, so uh, recycling, uh, the real circular economy type of things. Um, look at renewable energy. I think renewable energy solutions will be very much uh, interested. Uh, climate smart agriculture is very much uh, uh, important. Light manufacturing. I think those are really the basic things that we need to do. And and add, uh, let's say value added uh, businesses. To give you an example, I quite remember that you know suddenly when we were doing the when COVID came in and then uh, everybody was uh, producing uh, sanitizers. Oh right, yes. It it, it it came a moment that we um, a lot of companies didn't have uh, these uh, uh, plastic bottles to put them in. Why? Because we don't have a factory that is producing them, we import them. So the question is, why haven't we set up these type of businesses already in the country? So those are some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves and put that those investments in. And I think, yeah, mentioning even that, you know, during this period of COVID, that's one key area that you're mentioning that uh sort of gave room for innovation uh back there were there efforts to set up something similar in ghana to sort of produce that yeah no, but i think that is the eye opener that a lot of people are having um i quite remember that like uh, rice imports and all those things and then suddenly some countries were saying okay let's hold on to export rice from our countries to those countries and then suddenly oh she, oh yes we don't have uh, we, uh, rice import. So then now suddenly Ghanaian rice producers will say, hey, okay, but we need to do more investment in that because that is a uh, product that Ghanaians like and we need to uh, stimulate that. So I think, uh, again, locally grown businesses, um, added value is now being seen as something that we really need to tap in and bring these innovations in the country. Yeah, COVID-19 really uh, was an eye-opener, has been an eye-opener. Yeah, so from uh, only consume, uh, consumers to become pro producers, I think that is really something that helps also innovation. Yeah. How is the agribusiness sector? Uh, that is, of course, our natural uh, first natural area to go to, right, in the region? Yes, <laughs> yes I think still... I think especially a lot of young people are stepping into that field whereby they are not only focusing on producing it, but the added value. So I know some of the companies that you can then order directly and then you get everyday fresh vegetables at home. Well, those are some of the wonderful concepts that are now being done. Um, some are doing concept whereby you can be owner of an, uh, an agriculture uh, land. So it's not an investment, but it's more or less like as if the, um, you are the farmer, but because you don't have time, they are farming for you. And then you can have access to the proceeds. There are so many concepts being uh, developed with technology and uh, innovations that you um sometimes amazed. Uh, I know two companies that are doing uh, coffee beans and uh, selling internationally. 
um, which is great. And I see all these uh, interesting concepts and I'm like, okay, this is uh, worth helping. And I'm sure that uh, coming years, we'll get more of these companies to be supported. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the idea what you mentioned about an anchor company, for example, being set up in a region, uh, that can actually be applied as well to the entire, uh, to every to every other part of the country where a, an entrepreneur with, or a project is, is successful, you then get those who are also interested in the sector will see that it's uh, it's succeeding and yeah. to invest in that. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I think that is, uh, I think now that um, that will be now the next step. How do you institutionalize all these type of concepts and how do you help grow all these businesses? Yeah, we, one area we haven't really spoken about is really um, uh, private ventures or uh, private investors, for example, private equity firms coming up on yeah. sports. <laughs> is that an area that is growing in Ghana? How is it in Ghana currently? Well, I, I, I know that there are a lot of these funds upcoming and they are they are there um and i see a lot of companies raising capital and all those things but i think the biggest challenge in ghana is your first deal between your first ten thousand up to your first hundred thousand i think that is the the biggest challenge that we are facing in ghana yeah, again I... yes no, so how do you mean in terms of... Uh, well, you know, the point is that, yes, there are a lot of funding agencies that, that are willing to give you uh, a step in your business for 100, 200,000, 1.5, and even uh, up to 15, 20 million and all those things. But the, the challenge is that I have a brilliant idea. I don't have even 1,000 Ghana cities. I'm maybe the first in my family that finished university. Um, uh, but I am a brilliant person. I have a good concept. And there are no financial institutions that are willing to give me my first 10,000 Ghana cities or my first 20,000 to really set up my business. Well, what, what can I do? And I think the coming period, there should be more focus on the first 10, 20, 15 uh, 100,000 uh, US dollars, which can help these companies get to a certain level where then they are easily can be matched to all these uh, impact investors. Right, right, right. Because the impact investors, they deal above 100,000, 200,000. Exactly. <laughs> because of the administrative costs that they also have. That's right. That's right. That's right. What are some of the key drivers to building the entrepreneurial culture for any business? Key drive. Well, I think I think one of the things that, at least in Ghana, what I see is that we are Ghanaians are practically we are traders. So it is actually in that entrepreneurial spirit is in us, but along the way. Um, we try to find and do it uh, safe. Why? Because we don't really have a social safety net. So an employability, employment is actually our safety net, either for government or for a private company. And when we get there, our ambition is not that high. We just want to 
do what we have to do. We don't go, uh, we don't do extreme, and we also don't do below bar. Then I'm always there. I think, I think that will be that's the biggest challenge that we are having. Um, the other drivers, that, but other side of it is that there's not enough jobs. So it, we tend to have a lot of entrepreneurs out of necessity. Mm. So, well, I, I'm actually looking for a job. I'm not getting a job. Okay, let me try and set up something. But a lot of them that I've seen, immediately that they get an opportunity to be employed, they are in employment. So I think one of the things that we need to start again is also bring entrepreneurship within the schools from primary, secondary school and create that spirit of enterprising people. I think that is the right word to use, uh, creating enterprising people that can then add value to development. Correct. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, so for me that is it is about enterprising people. So because not everybody can be an entrepreneur. And I think on average in a society, 15 to 20 percent of the people living there could be an, an, an entrepreneur. So we should also be careful that we don't see in every unemployed young person an entrepreneur. Because having an enterprise or being an entrepreneur, you also need good enterprising workers. So we need to have that combination of entrepreneurship and employability. Right, 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 correct. I often see that entrepreneurship is not an activity, it's a mindset. Yeah, well, yes, but it is also a career path. Yeah. So the, the willingness to say, I want to be a doctor and then specialized, you also need to do that with entrepreneurship. So that's why I always call myself an ent uh, enterprise and specialist because, um, yes, I like setting up companies. I like setting up new concepts. I like setting up new ideas. And I really believe in uh, doing that in various settings, various concepts and various uh, roles. Correct. Enterprising specialist. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And what's the one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? <coughs> Honestly, um, that's one thing that I always want to tell young diasporas. I, um, I'm one of the lucky ones that the educational background that I selected is really helping me. But I see a lot of young people selecting um, their educational directive, uh, not taking into account the world as a potential workplace. So I think that is very much important. Um, languages, um, speaking, uh, various languages. Uh, luckily enough, I speak English and Dutch and uh, local uh, dialect, uh, local language tree. But then I'm, I'm now looking at it. If I could also speak French, the the world would have been more opener to me. So I think those are some of the things that uh, reflective 
uh, looking back, I would have uh, done differently. But the rest, I think that uh, I'm happy where I am because uh, ev- I see that every every year I grow. I see that every year I get opportunity to do new, exciting things. Um, and with various and uh, variety of uh, people. Yeah, because we we measure our, our standards with this with our standards rather than just the standards someone else set. So you know you have yeah. and you build that every year. You improve on that. Exactly. So I think that is the most important thing that you need to and set your own career path. So not let it be controlled by others. Correct, correct. What would you say has been your biggest challenge so far and uh, how you learn from it? Well, I think the biggest challenge um, so far is the, uh, for me, I, I, if honestly, the inequality that still exists in the world. That's, that is really what I see. I see the opportunities that are actually not there if you are born in a certain uh, location. And I, I quite remember last year, I went to the US for an uh, education fair, and there the topic was digitalization and coding and whatsoever, and digital literacy. And then the other side of it, a month later I was in Ghana, and we were talking about normal literacy. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> and then I was like, wow, if these opportunities are there for so many people that they are even passing uh, reading and writing and they are talking into digital languages and uh, creating new stuff and all those things. And in Africa, some young people have never even seen a computer. Then I'm, I'm a bit worried. If I see my son of two years who has a tablet and can go to YouTube to watch his own programs and can now knows that, okay, you need to swipe, you need to do this. Right, right. And I'm like, okay, um, it has nothing to do with uh, how smart you are. It has to do with having access to. And luckily my kids have access to but what about all these millions of millions of kids that have that intelligence, but they don't have access to? Then that is more or less my worry. And my, but then it's also, again, one of the reasons why every day you wake up and say, okay, uh, this is my contribution that I can do the coming years to make, to bring a change. Yeah, and indeed the lack of uh, opportunities or the lack of equality or However, we describe it. Those are all avenues for uh, for innovation. You know, to think of how best we can improve society. Yeah, exactly. But then you need to trigger it. You know, a lot of if you don't have any clue and you don't have people around you that uh, sees that clue, then it becomes tradition. Then it becomes oh. This is what we have been doing all the rest of our uh, life. My grandfather did it. My uh, my father, my father's father, my father, 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 father. That is then the story that is being then told. And anybody that comes in a bit will be seen as rebellious. So we need to facilitate that. And I think 
there there's a role for diaspora to uh, play that role there's a role for uh, international organizations to play that role and yes accessibility i think really focusing on quality accessibility to all these systems programs and all will be needed the coming years right 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 that's absolutely now for some light-hearted questions who are the three people who have been the most influential to you? Who? <laughs> influential? Well, funny enough, none of uh, there are few people that I've, I I can mention that I from a this like for instance somebody that I really uh, really uh, appreciate a lot is somebody like Kofi Annan. And uh, against, I always say against all acts in becoming the UN uh, boss, you know, where he was the first out of the organization. So I think it, it really reflects that there, where there's a will and there is, you have the competence and the capacity, you can make it. I think that is one of the things that I really uh love the other one uh that i've always appreciate is the minister of finance uh ghana at this moment uh and the reason why is that my first internship that i did outside the netherlands was actually at his firm data bank and when it was in the private sector of course yeah exactly when he was running uh, financial institution and the way they were running it was very amazing and I quite remember that he shared a book to all his managers called uh, Who Moved My Cheese and was about change management and I quite remember that uh, there was a case that somebody um, a woman came um, in uh, the office and she wanted to have uh, more information about one of their products but nobody was paying attention to her. And they were all looking at those that were well-dressed and all those things. And I quite, I quite remember that he then called a meeting and told, tried to tell them what they were doing wrong. And where he showed that you uh, really have to have respect for everybody. The moment that somebody enters your office, no matter how the person looks like and all those things, you need to give that person the audience. So for me, those are some of the examples. And of course, um, I always uh, put my parents as an example, um, uh, struggling in Europe for us to have a good uh, uh, life. I think that is always a key point for us to say that okay we need to make them proud and as if i look at my siblings uh we are all doing well then i'm like okay that is really uh it it, it was not of chance um but but other people that uh you will not know are really like um a young person in sierra leone where people think it is impossible and the person is doing a nice business for me, those are the inspiration.
people that uh, are in Liberia. I've seen some of these uh, young people that have grown through the war uh, period, but still are having that uh, light in their eyes of hope and right. success and doing it. That motivates me again to say that, oh, I actually don't have any reason to complain. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, you know. Once you see those young people with a hope and a desire and passion in the eyes, that keeps you going in your work. Yeah, exactly. So for me, those are the people, the people that we hardly portray, people that uh, day in, day out, they are capable of doing the next step and really having small businesses. Uh, uh, you know, we call them informal sector companies but most of them have sometimes maybe 20 30 people on their payroll right and we describe them as informal and they're informal but they are and they're making impact in their communities yeah. exactly so those are some of the people that i will really i always say that well i look at them and learn a lot from them that that's great that's great one of the uh most common myth we always have about doing business in Africa is uh, understandably some of the challenges, but what would you say is the one common myth about doing business in Africa? I think one of the things that um, doing business in, in Africa is that um, you need to have patience. Um, I think that is the, uh, for me, that is the biggest. You need to, you know, sometimes, especially in Europe, uh, those who have lived in Europe or the US, we are used to, okay, I make an appointment, four o'clock, they're, they're expecting me to be there exactly four o'clock. I'm there four o'clock and somebody will help me and I can, within 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'm done. I can, if it's Netherlands, I can then do again, uh, uh, and then I know the time of my train, my bus, and I'm again exactly that time at home. One thing you need to forget, that doesn't happen in Africa. Mm. And it is, it is not an unwill, it's not, an, but that is the system. So that is happening. So I think most of the time is that I always say that you have control over yourself you have control over your attitude. So you can make sure that you are on time. You can make sure that you follow the rules. You can make sure that, but you don't have any say about what other persons will do. So don't stress yourself about that. Yeah, the that's always a temptation, right? You always feel as if the attitude that you have built would carry on to the other region where you are. But that could be quite disappointing. Yeah, but then what happens is that people, yes, but the challenge is that um, what happens is that people, when they have uh, meetings at one o'clock and they come um, every time they are on time and the person that they are meeting comes 15, 20, one hour later, then the next time that they are making an appointment, they also be 30 minutes late. Ah, yeah. So then you have the, the, uh, the secular kind of thinking. That exactly. Will... Then you come back, then nobody changed. But if you always are on time, then maybe the person will say that, mm, if I'm meeting this guy there, he's always on time. So let me now also be on time for him. Otherwise, he will complain. 
So at least then you have made a change for one person. It could be that that person will say, okay, no, okay, I can, if I do this, this way, I can always be on time. Do you get it? So it is more or less an attitudinal um, uh, way of doing things. And, 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 and that is the most important thing to bring on board. That's correct. It's all about attitudinal change, huh? changing the attitudes. Yes, and you start with that change with yourself. That's correct. Which really leads to one of the main areas of work that uh, we do on Impact Mindset is really dealing with uh, issues of attitudes, dealing with the mindset issues, and how some of the uh, the mindset and uh, attitudes that we have either hold us back or either gives us uh, or serve as a catalyst to the initiatives that we undertake. Uh, the last question I would like to ask you is, what's the one mindset change that led to your part of uh, self-mastery and success? What would you sort of point out in your entrepreneurship journey was a mindset change that sort of served as a catalyst for you? Well, always keep your, your dream intact. Right. So don't um, don't deviate from the dream. <clears throat> it could be that the path to that dream changes, but don't lose sight of that dream. Right. Right. Correct. So, like, I, I can give you an example. Like, I really believe in entrepreneurship development. Uh, when I joined MDF. I had every uh, opportunity to shift to totally uh, different uh, uh, direction and all those things, which I think I would also have been successful, but it would not be my passion. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, taking that challenge of uh, uh, institutionalizing that entrepreneurship within uh, the context of MDF, where I never had thought of joining an mdf when i had that dream initially so the but because the dream was really enterprise support now yeah. i have uh, reached that goal but then in a different setting in a different structure but still um achieving that goal so i think that is more or less most important thing you know you can you can be that's you need to be a bit flexible in those um, the pathway towards that dream. Right. So it's not really about uh, having everything carved in stone, but you more or less have a vision of this is where you're going, but understanding that uh, along the way and along the path, you would be able to be flexible enough to adapt to the environment in which you have been. Exactly. Adapt to the environment, uh, change your your strategies, uh, change your way of working, um, partnering, uh, learning from your from your mistakes, um, celebrating your successes. I think those are very much important to be able uh, to have still that uh, that horizon in front of you. 
Right, but going forward and not 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 losing your focus, not losing your vision. But exactly. Going, but being able to adapt to changing circumstances. Exactly. Great. Thanks a lot for joining me on this episode of Impact Mindsets podcast. Uh, it was a real pleasure talking with you again, Richard, and uh, providing the audience with uh, with an excellent view of the entrepreneurial and entrepreneurship culture and innovation environment in, in Ghana and the sub-region. I know that your experience over the last nearly two decades could we could uh we could we definitely should have another episode we could talk about more we could talk in more detail on some of the projects that uh, you, you have been involved in so how can people connect with you online well um everybody can go to the uh, facebook and look for me but if, if you google my name richard yaboa and put in mdf you will also find me or ghana innovation app you will always find me yeah, and of course, details on uh, Ghana Innovation Hub and the other projects uh, you are working on, as yeah. well as contact details will be available on the episode page on impactmindset.com. Thanks a lot, Richard. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to Impact Mindset, where we build a community of relentless entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay informed and visit our website on impactmindset.com and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at FonBruno15, on Twitter and LinkedIn at FonBruno. If you are interested in private coaching and courses on startup strategy, ideation and concept development, contact me via podcast at impactmindset.com or visit my website at fonbruno.com.